Thank you for listening to Cinematic Reviews. This is Matt here with a special episode about my Star Wars thoughts. I wanted to get out some thoughts out into the air here. I haven't done any special episodes yet other than just movie reviews, except for my very first episode where I was interviewed by Nathan Dallin to kind of get an introduction for the channel. But this is my first special episode because I've got a lot of thoughts that I want to get out there. So here we go. So I think my thoughts have come a lot as we've been doing the other podcasts, The Geek, The Nerd, and The Tangent. I've been thinking about it lately with the upcoming episode nine, wondering if it's possible for it to be good or if it's going to have to be mediocre. I'm just wondering where Star Wars is going to go and how it's going to be when it gets there. And let me just start. I, I kind of want to go through a lot of these thoughts here. But I want to start from the foundation as to why is Star Wars special to begin with? Why is it special to me, I guess? And why is it special to a lot of people? I think for most people that really love Star Wars, that love started in childhood. In childhood, things like Star Wars or other fantasy stories can feel so tangible. They could feel so real. They can bring us to a place that we never really end up leaving, even when we grow up in the real world and we discover the cruel ironies of life. You know, what kid that watched Star Wars didn't at some point attempt to like lay there and meditate and try to use the force to like turn off a light switch or something? Maybe that's just me, but I don't think so. I think it was a lot of people. I think another reason that people love Star Wars is it had a main character that we could relate to. Luke Skywalker wasn't Thor, wasn't Wonder Woman. He wasn't a god. He wasn't anybody. This was just a farm boy from a desert planet. He was you. He was me. It made us feel like maybe even we could have an Obi-Wan show up one day, tell us that there's something special for us to learn that we're capable of learning and take us on an adventure with him. It just seemed possible because if it could happen to Luke, this nobody on the desert planet, maybe it could happen to us. I think it was also a story that was born out of George Lucas's soul. And I'm going to I'm going to keep using that phrase born out of the soul in this in in my thoughts here. It's going to come up a lot because it's something that I've been thinking about lately and it's something that I think is real and is true. But when I say that, I mean that this is a story he was so passionate about that even if he had a fraction less of passion, the whole thing may not even have ever been made. He had this story inside, you know, just inside of him and it just had to come out. He was inspired by a lot of other things, yes, but this was his story and he had to tell it. If you look at the making of this movie, Man, everything was against him in making this, but he did it because it was a passion. He just had to get this story out into the world. Another reason I think it's special is because there are special effects and visual effects that were never before seen on the silver screen. I only wish I could have been there for the original screening of episode four when that Karelian cruiser chases after Leia's ship and it just comes over the screen and it's just this impressive visual of the ship that's just enormous. I, I just think that's such a cool thing. And I don't think that people had seen a lot of that up until this point. It was really, really a creative decision. And he made a lot of he made a lot of progress in the visual effects and special effects side of things. 
George Lucas wasn't exactly a big shot at this point. He did have success with American Graffiti, but not much else. He was just, he was an underdog, kind of. I mean, he had some ends with the film industry, obviously, but he wasn't huge. His name wasn't George Lucas, you know, the George Lucas we know today by any means. And that's because he had this idea that was special inside of him that he just had to tell. And then it became this huge worldwide phenomenon. Star Wars, I think, is something everyone can relate to. And this comes into play later, too. But it's it's the good guy and the bad guy are not obvious representations of one political leaning or another necessarily. You know, I, I granted democracy is pretty explicitly mentioned, uh, at least particularly in the prequel trilogy. And that's fine. But I, I think that anyone on this planet could relate to this tale of underdog Luke going against an empire that the underdog and that empire could represent anything for that person. You know, that that person is Luke and the empire is whatever obstacles they or their community have to overcome. You know, the, the empire for someone in the United States, maybe that does represent the idea of of losing your freedom and having one person controlling things. Maybe for someone in the Middle East, maybe the empire represents the United States in some ways. It just depends. You know, everyone can relate to this no matter who you are, you know, for better or worse. And I think I think that's something that made it special. And for me personally, I have a soft spot for Star Wars because it's something I remember doing with my brother while we were still both close enough to childhood. You know, we're still in those formative years where we're still spending a lot of time together you know, here on and off, at least, you know, he, he was around a lot and, and it was, it was an important and formative time. And I'm grateful that I had this common ground with him so that I could have those childhood memories so that we could go to the theater and, and enjoy these movies. And look, I mean, those are just a few reasons why Star Wars is special. There's a lot of reasons. The things I'm mentioning here are, are, I'm sure just a small list compared to what other people could come up with. And, and that list, of course, goes on and on. Star Wars, though, is something special. That cannot be denied. How many pieces of entertainment can really claim to have changed the world? I think Star Wars did, and it still continues to do so for new generation. Now, my thoughts at this point are not so much in what makes Star Wars special, but in what's going on with Star Wars. You know, what Star Wars today, you know, what... Why is it so divisive? What are the problems with the path that Star Wars creators are on? Is there anything that can be done to save Star Wars? And does Star Wars even need to be saved? Or is it just good? So here's a little history, I guess, of, of Star Wars lately. So back in 2012, fans were ecstatic to learn that Star Wars movies would be coming back. You may remember this, and you may have had the same electric feeling that I did when George Lucas announced that he was selling the franchise to Disney. The Disney element, I think, did make some fans a little hesitant, and more on that later, perhaps. But I think for the most part, we were just excited with the infinite possibilities on the horizon, even if it was with uh, an association with the mouse, right? But, you know, we were just so, so excited to see Star Wars coming back. So we fast forward about another year to 2013. J.J. Abrams was announced 
that he it would he, that he would be directing episode seven. Obviously, he's a very talented man. He's extremely successful and deservedly so. And I I mean I personally haven't enjoyed that many of his projects. Honestly, at least in the long run, I did enjoy his involvement in Lost until that took a bad turn, at, you know, at the in the sixth season. But that wasn't that had nothing to do with him. I really liked his first Star Trek reboot. I thought that was a lot of fun and well done. I was, however, pretty skeptical about his directing and creating this movie because it I, I didn't really know at the time why that was. I thought maybe, you know, okay, he's done Star Trek, so maybe they're just obviously getting him for Star Wars. He's a big name, people are gonna like it, whatever. I, I don't I don't know exactly what my hesitancy about it was, but I think I do know now. At that time, around Christmas in 2014, you know, I guess fast forward a year later, we really started to get some great information about the project. And then fast forward a little farther into the springtime during Star Wars Celebration, we we really got to know some of these new characters that they were developing and audiences. And I think women especially were excited to see that this franchise franchise contained a female lead played by Daisy Ridley. That was a really special thing for Star Wars to have. And I have to say that the excitement and the marketing around this movie were electric. It's some of the best marketing I've ever seen. And some of the some of the most passionate, uh, you know, that fans have felt just so excited for for Star Wars to come back. I don't know that that feeling can ever be replicated with anything. I mean, at least not not any of the franchises that currently exist. It was just something special to have Star Wars coming back. So let me pause here for just a minute. And I'm guessing that if you've gotten this far into this episode, that you've seen most of the movies that were made under the Disney umbrella. I'm sure you've seen the originals. You've probably seen the prequels. You're most likely a Star Wars fan. And you most certainly have some well-formulated op- opinions as to the quality of these new movies. You've got your opinion whether they're good or wh- whether these movies are good or bad. And for that reason, I may forego some of the nitty-gritty details of these films and the history but I will try to keep enough in just in case someone is listening that is slightly less informed on the topic, I guess. So December 2015 came around. Finally, Star Wars The Force Awakens came out. And what was more, my brother actually made a very inconvenient drive from Lubbock with his wonderful wife to come see this movie with my wife and I at the, in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. I was so excited for that. It was really cool. It was like a, a callback to our childhood. It was something straight out of uh, what we would have done when we were kids and uh, not you know it it was a great callback especially to the times when that we spent going to the theater to see the special editions and now I'm not going to talk about the uh, the special editions at this time in in this episode but it, it was it was something that it called back to that I have very fond memories of and we watched the movie and and it was a fun experience overall it was great to get together and watch this and have another Star Wars movie that we could get together and watch and see and uh, have that have that moment together. The main complaint that I've heard since the time that Episode 7 was released just feels it, is that it just feels like a rehash of A New Hope. You know, it's just it's it's a uh, a nobody on a desert planet that gets called to action and gets called on an adventure. There's even a Death Star, right? I mean, it it really 
isn't even an argument that these that episode four and episode seven are similar. It's obvious that they are. Yes, there are differences, but it was so obviously a reformulation of that original Star Wars movie. I could also start to see some evidence that the story was way too open-ended and that there wasn't someone at the helm. There wasn't an overall plan, not even a loose one, at least that stuck around to know how this trilogy would play out. J.J. Abrams was given free reign to do as he pleased. Which, if you get a J.J. Abrams, that's what you do. You give him free reign, right? He's a, he's a powerful uh, director, and you leave him alone. You let him do his thing. As a side note, around this time, I discovered the wonder of the Breaking Bad universe. That TV show, to me, was life-changing, simply because I saw a level of artistry, attention to detail, and performance that I had never seen anywhere else on the small screen. I was so impressed. And I've since watched the series multiple times, as well as the prequel series Better Call Saul. The reason I bring this up is because there were a few episodes that were directed by someone that wasn't very well known at the time, Ryan Johnson. In fact, a couple of these episodes are actually heralded as some of the best television of all time. So the next movie on our list, episode eight, was announced and it was announced that Ryan Johnson would be directing and writing this episode. Of course, I had enormous high hopes because this this TV series that I just can't sing enough praise for had Ryan Johnson directing some of these best episodes. And I was I was so excited to see him at the helm. And let me just say, I'm not overall an episode eight hater. I actually really loved a lot of the things in the movie. I thought there were some there was some very smart writing some very interesting ideas and visuals. I also do think that it has major issues, issues that don't belong in the Star Wars universe. Once again, Kathleen Kennedy gave free reign to another director, basically just do whatever he wanted, you know, with the next installment in the franchise. And this is where my biggest issues with this new trilogy come into play. It's not so much the decisions that Ryan Johnson made or the decisions that J.J. Abrams made, It's that they were just given their free reign. Episodes seven through nine is essentially a trilogy of choose your own adventure. But the chooser of that adventure adventure is a different director and writer every time. It's it's like a nonsensical book that I wrote in with a friend in high school. With my friend Danielle. We got together and we decided, hey, let's write a book. I would write a chapter, then she would take a turn, then I would take a turn. And there didn't end up being a plot or anything cohesive. It was basic nonsense. Now, had we collaborated or developed a plot or overall story and character arcs, that style may have worked just fine to trade off chapters. But we just handed it off one chapter at a time to let the other person do as they pleased. And look, I remember that book fondly. I'm still happy to read it. I still have a, you know, I still have the, you know, the original files. Of course, we never published it, but, you know, I still have it and I I still enjoy it, even if it is a disaster, you know, and and this mistake, if you call it that, whatever, I'm I don't have any problem having made that mistake as a high school student. That's a perfectly normal thing for someone to do. Like, hey, I want to create something. This sounds like an easy and fun way to do it. However, when we're talking about a multi-billion dollar company, A choose-your-own-adventure style is not acceptable, and it's not going to work. 
It will never be interesting without cohesive elements to the story, without some overall plan. It essentially makes any fan theory out there non-viable from the beginning because there's nothing to make a theory about. There's no plan in the future. So whatever thing you're thinking about Ray in Episode 7 holds no bearing for the future because there is no plan. You can theorize all you want, but there's no plan. It's just a choose-your-own-adventure. Whoever's making the movie is going to do whatever they want. They'll try to tie it together the best way they can. But man, what a task, right? It's just not acceptable to me. To me, they're, you know, they're just planting seeds without knowing what the next person will will be sowing, you know, will be reaping from from the seeds that they sowed. Or even if they'll just forego the reaping altogether and just burn the field, right? Fan theories keep people engaged, but in order to have successful fan theories out there, you really have to have a plan and you really have to have somewhere that this story is going and someone that's overseeing this and someone that's at the helm. Otherwise, you'll lose fans because speculation on something that has no roots is absolutely pointless. And like I said, I love some of the elements of Episode 8. I think what they did with Luke Skywalker is very relatable to a lot of people. I personally related to it. I also think that it is one of the ways to explain why he would not have shown up for the events of Episode 7. The thought of Luke off skipping around looking for Jedi artifacts while his friends suffer and die while he could have helped them is just silly to me. It, this made sense. I I also liked eliminating Snoke. I think he was tropey to begin with, and the story needed to focus on Kylo and Rey. There were a lot of smart choices in my mind, and there were some that actually really took away from the universal nature of Star Wars. It was attacking a very specific ideological belief system. Granted, I tend to side with most of those, but Star Wars should be for everyone. Capitalist, socialist, whoever. I think anyone should be able to watch Star Wars and relate to it. Now, you may be thinking that my choose-your-own-adventure thesis is flawed because J.J. Abrams is back for Episode 9. And while that may be true, he wasn't there for Episode 8. So even if he had a plan for the trilogy, I'm sure what Ryan Johnson did did not align perfectly with what J.J. had planned out from the beginning, if he did. Also, he wasn't originally slated to do Episode 9. He wasn't originally in, in the works for this at all. Uh, he was brought on the project much later than you might expect after they got rid of Colin Trevorrow, who was originally going to be at the helm for Episode 9. Now, I want to pause for a minute and throw a theory out there into the interweb. I think that uh, the best, the most universally loved, and the most stimulating stories come from people that just have a story inside them that they have to tell. They've got to get it out. I think Star Wars is a great example of that coming from George Lucas. But I think another one, just to give another example, is that is perhaps even more far-reaching than Star Wars, is Harry Potter. Harry Potter is a universe that is beloved by millions. But to be clear, this was a story that was this this was not a story that was commissioned at the time by the most popular chi children's writer to to go figure out how to tell the story. No, instead, 
This was born straight out of J.K. Rowling's soul at a very low point in her life. It had been something that she had been thinking about for ages and had very humble beginnings. This is a story that at the lowest point in her life, she could not let go of. She's writing the story on a napkin, right? She had she had something to tell, something inside her that just had to get out. And I'm liking the phrase born out of someone's soul, born out of the soul. I like that phrase because I think it describes well the type of stories that really, really connect with people. Some other stories that I think are like this are Lord of the Rings. I think both the original work and Peter Jackson's adaptation qualify for that as something that's that's passionately born out of someone's soul. I mean, just if you watch any of the behind-the-scenes stuff with Peter Jackson, you'll just see it, you know, how, how uh, excited he was for this. I think a lot of Spielberg's work, uh, early work at least, qualifies for this and and you know there's a lot of stories i think even someone like brandon sanderson who is a prolific epic fantasy writer and he's written many many stories but he was just born to write fantasy you know and and that's what's inside of his mind and soul not to mention that most of his books are actually related to each other in different ways it's absolutely mind-blowing my, my point I'm trying to make is that I think the most relatable, the farthest reaching, the most entertaining stories are told by someone who just has something inside them that has to get out. That being said, let me talk about Rogue One for a minute. We're going to leave the, the trilogy behind and just talk about um, Rogue One, which is separate all by itself. I feel that in some ways this movie is actually one of Lucasfilm's strongest attempts at making a Star Wars movie yet. I think that has a lot to do with the origin of this story. And let me explain. Uh, so John Knoll is actually the one who initially had this idea. If you don't know who that is, John Knoll is an executive producer and a visual effects supervisor over at Lucasfilm. And he just kept having this thought about how cool it would be to see a movie in which characters stole the plans for the Death Star, as mentioned in the scroll at the beginning of A New Hope. So, yeah, it's not it's not an original idea to him, but it's something that just kept coming up in his mind and he kept telling people about it. And they would turn they would in turn encourage him to pitch this idea to Kathleen Kennedy, the president of Lucasfilm. And he did so. And the movie went on to do a lot of things, but it was born out of John Knowles soul. It wasn't an original idea, like I said, but it was something that was inside him stewing around and he just had to let it out. I think Rogue One is one of the best Star Wars movies that's been made so far. And I think the reason why is because it was born out of the uh, out of original material and given legs by John Null. Now, the reason I think this movie wasn't perfect has to do with something else that I think Lucasfilm is not doing correctly, but more on that in a minute. Let's go back for for just a minute here to the original or not the original trilogy, but the new episode 7 through 9 trilogy. In my mind, the foundational flaw in these movies has to do with just hiring someone and telling them to come up with ideas. Instead, what you need to do is find the filmmakers out there that already have passionate ideas, someone like Dave Filoni, and you put them in charge of the trilogy as a whole, meaning they're present for episodes 7, 8, and 9. In my mind, the I mean, of course, you work with the story group that, you know... Um, it's not just one person, but they have other people giving them feedback to make sure things tie in, you know, properly into the Star Wars universe. 
But you, so you have the story group, but you have this person overseeing the entire trilogy. So they're there for episode seven, eight, and nine. In my mind, the obvious choice here was actually George Lucas himself. Now, some people may kick against that idea because of the prequels, which had some horrible things about them. But let's, if you just take a step back and look at it, really, the prequels had a lot going for them. And some, a lot of the higher level ideas and thinking and, and uh, cohesion of the Star Wars universe were there. It was just kind of in the, in the little details of dialogue and character development that he really went wrong. But I, I think had they kept George Lucas and just said, hey, we want you to create what you would have done for episodes seven, eight, and nine, do it with the story group here. And by the way, we're bringing on these directors for these movies. Go ahead and create them and do something awesome. And by the way, we're having someone else write the movie for you. But you're just the idea man here. All right. So to me, that was the obvious choice. I think, sure, you bring in some hitters like like J.J. Abrams, if, if he's willing to do that. Or Ryan Johnson. Yeah, bring him into direct. What Whatever. That's great. Yes, it's good. But you have to have someone who feels the material deeply, has a passion for the story at hand, and who therefore can bring a cohesive story arc to the trilogy. No more choose your own adventure. Back to Rogue One, and, and as far as that is concerned, like I said earlier, I think this movie was made for the right reason. It was born out of passion, which to me is a surefire ingredient for success. But the problem came when there were some major reconfiguring of ideas and plot elements in the film, but the release date was kept the same. Meaning Kathleen Kennedy, maybe Bob Iger, I don't know, they wanted changes. They didn't like everything they were seeing, but they didn't give them more time to fix them or to make it cohesive or to do anything else. They just, they just said, okay, let's make it happen. Let's bring someone in. Let's speed this along. Let's let's just put it together, slap it together, and and we'll and we'll release it and make money. And yeah, they ended up doing that, but not it wasn't the best. You know, there there were some obvious changes made to the movie, and I don't think it was given enough time to overcome those changes and to make them seem like they fit into the bigger picture as a whole. Time is an important key in making a great movie. You have to have time. These movies need to be given the proper length of time for production to ensure a quality deliverable. Rogue One, to me, fell flat in that aspect. I think they needed six more months or a year to really get this story exactly how it needed to be, which should have done been done before shooting, by the way. The script should have been honed in perfectly before starting to shoot and then you do the you know you do things properly and yeah you always leave time for reshoots what have you but it's not reshoots to reconfigure the story you allow reshoots because yeah sometimes you forget to get a certain shot or you know you uh you had a great idea later that you need to insert into the film but you know so reshoots are normal but the reshoots in this case were because, man, we're just abandoning a lot of ideas. We're trying to slap something together in time for the December release. To, to and, and, you know, again, that's why, to me, Rogue One fell flat. It was born out of passion, but then it just wasn't given enough time to develop properly to give a proper deliverable. 
And to summarize, that the the deepest mistake of the main trilogy, uh, or let's say episode seven through nine, wasn't having a choose your own adventure style. It's J.J. Uh, Abrams does this, and then Ryan Johnson decides this, and now J.J. Abrams has to decide this. And it's not, you know, you didn't have someone at the helm. You didn't have someone steering the overall story arc. The directors are making a quality product, sure, but the problem is it needs to be cohesive from one director and writer to another. The way to ensure that is to have someone above the directors that has some say in the overall outcome of these uh, three stories, these three movies. The main issue with Rogue One was that of time. They just needed to extend the release date, maybe even another year, to get the story just right. But instead, they rushed it. They had a good thing, but they rushed it. They just were so desperate, I guess, to get money from the movie that they rushed it. And it, and it was good, and they did make money, and it was born out of John Knowles' soul, and it came from good stock. But then when mistakes were made and changes requested, or however things went down exactly, Time was not allotted for such things. It just needed more time. You cannot rush a good thing. You have to think about the future. Just because you can make money off of this movie, it's not going to make money for you in the future unless you make it good enough, right? You have to be making enough of a quality production that people are going to stick around for the future. Now, that being said, I think the trilogy and Rogue One still have a lot of redeeming qualities because they are doing some things right. Solo, on the other hand, is an example of a story that no one wanted initially. It was not born out of passion, but rather fan service, which is not the right way to go. And what's more, around mid-production, there were significant creative differences between Kathleen Kennedy and the original directors Phil Lord and Chris Miller. But instead of putting things on hold, instead of pausing to get their bearings and reevaluate the course they were taking, they just simply hired a seasoned director and hoped he would turn out something they could sell. So not only was this story one that no one was asking for, it wasn't born out of someone's soul or a passion. It wasn't a passion project. It was not even given the time it needed to recuperate when things went south. It was all the mistakes of the other Star Wars movies in one movie. In fact, I don't know that they did anything right with this movie. I am of the opinion that Star Wars is in need of a bit of salvation. Are we ever going to please every Star Wars fan? No, of course not. But keep in mind that a lot of the dissenting voices are also often the loudest, and they don't necessarily represent a majority. Lucasfilm can still recover. They can go forward and make great movies. Not all of their movies have been horrible. They just need to be better. And these movies must be born out of passion from someone's soul. Ideas that people have that they just have to get out. And so if I was in charge, where would I start? I think I would approach some of the great authors of the extended universe, which uh, those books are now referred to as legends. And I would talk to those authors and I would just see if they have any stories that, uh, that they're just dying to tell in the Star Wars universe. Don't pull what you did with Thrawn. If you're not familiar with who Thrawn is, don't worry about it. But what they did is they, they took the author of that original tri trilogy that had Thrawn, and his name was Timothy Zahn, and they said, oh, hey, we know that people like your character Thrawn. We'd really like you to bring him back, 
but we need you to stick him in this timeline. He needs to do this and this and this. So basically they put constraints on what Timothy Zahn could do. And he's a great writer and he came up with a really cool character, but that character belongs wherever Timothy Zahn's imagination can put him. Lucasfilm needs to take a step back and, and get these great ideas from, I, I think, some of these writers. I think at least that's one good place to look. You know, th- there was some really good Star Wars uh, extended universe fiction out there. And I think it's a mistake not to be talking to these authors. And maybe they are doing that. I don't know. But I think what what they need to do is just sit down, be quiet, shut up, listen to some great ideas from some great Star Wars minds. People that have the most passion, people that have ideas for stories that are just inside them that they just can't wait to tell. Find those people with those great ideas and and those great ideas that they just they just have to get out of their system. Stop just pulling stories out of thin air. We don't want solo, right? We don't want these fan service nonsense ideas. It's not going to work in the long run. We're going to stop caring. You'll lose the fans. And speaking of shutting up, I think it's about time that I did that. This has been going on for a while. I do hope that some of the thoughts I've shared here were interesting to you. And thank you so much for listening. I do appreciate that. Let me know what you think. Do, do I have something here with my ideas? Or am I just talking nonsense? Am I way off track? What do you think is the solution for Lucasfilm to get back on track and give us the Star Wars movies that we need and want? I'd love to hear from you. Please reach out to me. You can reach out to me on Twitter at cinematic at cinematic with two T's, or you can email me cinematic at, you know, cinematic reviews at gmail.com. Again, cinematic with two T's. Don't forget that again. Thank you for listening. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on Star Wars. Hey, everybody, did you enjoy this movie review? If so, please take the time to review my podcast on iTunes using the link in the episode description. Also, be sure to follow me on Twitter, at Cinematic. That's Cinematic with two Ts, to stay up to date on my latest content and other happenings. Thank you for listening. I'll see you at the movies.